grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There are those Sundays when I read the words of our Lord and then say, this is the gospel of our Lord, and I just have to cringe a little bit because it sure doesn't sound like any gospel. And today, that reading that we heard from our Lord Jesus, today is most definitely one of those days. If it were just up to me, if I wasn't uh, submitting to the lectionary and the readings that we have presented before us, this is one of those texts that I would just as soon avoid. I mean, personally, when I hear it, I just start to want to wriggle out of it a little bit. Jesus, you, we should pluck our eyes out and cut our hands off? Like, this just doesn't sound quite right. And pastorally, my knee-jerk reaction to it is to try and turn into the public relations man for the Lord, you know? To hear a reading like that and say, you know, Jesus, the optics on this are just not good, okay? I don't think we really want to be saying this sort of thing to people. We're going to really turn them off, drive them away. But still, there it is. The gospel of our Lord. We can't avoid it. I mean, for all of us, when we hear something like that from Jesus, we realize there's no escape. And that's in his intention, make no mistake. There's no getting out from around those words. It pins every single one of us to the wall. I mean, there's some of us, there's some of us who harbor anger like an unwelcome house guest and let it just continue to hang around. There's some of us that that nurture grudges like we were feeding a beloved pet and just keep on giving it more and more and more. Love your enemy? Do good to those who hate you? I'm not so sure about that, Jesus. There's some of us that when we hear these words that the Lord has to say about lust, strike us to the heart. Some of you may be struggling with pornography looking at things that you know you shouldn't be looking at. You hear a word like that from Jesus, and it crushes you. There's others of us that have been divorced. And so when we hear this black and white word from Jesus, it can't help but leaving you feeling like you are outside the bounds of the kingdom of God. And on and on it goes. Within this room, not a single one of us escapes these hard words from Jesus, but it pins every single one of us to the wall. And I want to say this. Our natural reaction is to try and wriggle out from behind it. It's like when you go to the doctor's office, right? And the doctor says, say ah, and he has to put that tongue depressor right down your throat. And your first reaction is what? (laughs) You just start to gag. You want to get away from it. Jesus is our great physician. And here he's telling you and me to say, ah. And worse than that, we've come in with a broken leg, with broken bones, with a broken heart. And he says, hey, listen, I'm going to reset this for you. And it's going to hurt a bit. Don't you love it when doctors say stuff like that? I want you to stay with our Lord here for a minute. And let yourself feel the full weight of these words 
and I'm going to show you why. But first, we need to give a little bit of context for it. Because Jesus, when he is speaking here, you notice that he's got this kind of rhetorical thing going on here. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And you might think, wait a second, Jesus is setting himself up against the Old Testament? I mean, isn't that also the word of God, the the Holy Scripture? Why would Jesus be somehow undermining what God has said from the beginning of time? But that's not what he's doing here. Jesus isn't setting himself up against God's Old Testament revelation, but rather against the interpretations and applications that were going around in his day and in the time before our Lord's ministry. There's a couple of reasons I can give you to to establish that. First of all, we heard just in last week's gospel, Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus isn't here to throw out the Old Testament scriptures. He isn't here to undermine God's Old Testament word of law and commandment to his people. He's here to fulfill it. So if we hear this as Jesus somehow saying, ah, don't worry about what was heard in the the times past, what you have seen written, you don't need that anymore. All you need is what I'm saying to you. That's not his point. He came to fulfill the law. And the second way that we know that this is the case is Jesus says, you have heard it been said. Now, everywhere when it comes up in the Gospels, when Jesus himself is talking and he's quoting authoritatively that Old Testament scripture, What it says is something along the lines of, it was written, or it is written. When Jesus says, you've heard it said, he's referring to the popular commentary of his day. You've heard it said by the rabbis, the scribes, and the teachers of your day. These are the ways that they interpret this commandment and revelation, this law of God. But I say to you, Jesus isn't countering God's will and revealed scripture itself. He's countering the casuistry of his contemporaries. You with me there? So, for example, when it came to divorce, it was said in Jesus's day by uh, one tribe, one kind of tribe or faction of the Jewish leaders, those who were following uh, Hillel, that, you know what, when it says you shall not be divorced, um, okay, we can kind of twist that around to say, well, when you're divorced, you want to do it in the right way. They were in true bureaucratic fashion. They were focused more on the process than anything else. And they say, you know what? And really, it alludes in the Old Testament to if there's some kind of indecency. And we can say that that indecency, well, it might be that uh, your wife, she continues to be infertile. Send her away. Or maybe, maybe she gave you some bad toast. This is a true story. You can send her away for that, too. If there's something that makes you, and no well, it was especially uh, applied for husbands. If there's something about your wife that you don't like, send her away. But make sure you give her the certificate, okay? We got to do this in the right way. Focus more on bureaucratic process than on whether or not it was even permissible. This is the kind of junk that Jesus is speaking against. So what is he doing instead? He is peeling back All of those accretions, all of those layers of the the sediment of human interpretation and application, he's peeling all of that back in order to get right to the heart of God's will, what his true intent was in the law. Jesus doesn't just want to focus on the, the external actions and trying to find a way to justify our actions, you know, according to the letter, if not the spirit. Jesus is going to the internal side of it as well. What are your motives? What are you feeling 
in the things that nobody else can see except for God. Jesus isn't just going to look at the negative side on it. Don't do this. He's also going to look at the positive side of it. Do this. Not just avoid your enemies, stay away from them, or much less hate them. Instead, Jesus says positively, love your enemies. And he's not just going to give simple up-down checkbox kinds of things. But it's an open-ended word for you and me. You shall be perfect. Well, when have you kept that one? When can you just put that up on the wall with your diploma? I did that one already. I have been perfect. But this is God's true intent in his law. This is the heart of it for you and for me, that you shall be perfect. Pastor, I'm, I'm not perfect. Clearly, none of us are. So what are we supposed to do with that? Why does Jesus even say this if he knows that none of us are going to be able to keep it? Two reasons. The first one is this. You have heard that it was said among people in our time, well, morality is relative. You know, I mean, it's kind of like a fashion sort of thing. In the old times, people wore big hoop skirts and all sorts of funny hairdos. You know, guys would wear those weird white wigs. Nowadays, we don't do that. We wear skinny jeans and have bad haircuts, okay? That's how we roll now. And morality is the same way. It's a relative sort of thing. The fashions change from time to time. Just because people believe this now, it doesn't mean that they believed it always. We gotta be a little bit light and, and hold our morality with loose hands because it's not fixed. It's like fashion, it's relative. You've heard that said. But I say to you, no, the moral law is actually a lot more like the physical or natural law. It's more like gravity than it is like fashion. Even though we might not recognize it, and even though the, the consequences might not be quite so immediate as if, you, if I were to you know, drop a ball from the pulpit here, it's going to fall right down. Somebody commits adultery, you might not always see the consequences right away, but make no mistake. They are just as inevitable and unavoidable. Look, when we sin, it drags us down like gravity until finally, the scripture says, the wages of that sin is death. We are dragged down into the grave. People might think, oh, the moral law, you can take it or leave it, you can mess with it, fiddle with it, however you like. Nothing can be further from the truth just like the physical, natural laws of our universe, and even more so. It is fixed according to the will of God. So that when you and I come before the Lord, and if we want to try and you know, just sort of mess with his word or loosen his law, that's as bad as if you go to the doctor and just try to cover up all of your symptoms. See, that's not a path to healing. It's a path to continued sickness. Only now you're making things even worse. You understand what I'm saying? If we come before the doctor with a broken leg and we say, oh, it's only a flesh wound. Don't worry about it. Just a band-aid will help. Thank you, sir. So we all speak in British accents when we go to the doctor. You haven't suddenly made yourself healthy. You've just precluded the one path to getting better. You with me now? 
Likewise, when we hear the law of God, when Jesus lays this out before us and we just try to wriggle around it or tamp down these commands and say, well, he doesn't really mean that. You haven't suddenly made yourself healthier in the sight of God. You've just cut off the only path to health, which is Christ Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. See, Christ, our great physician, he wants us to feel the full weight of this word so that then we flee to him for health and recovery. See, Jesus is the one who says, you need to know this, that you are not well. But hear this, I have not come for those who are well. The well have no need of a physician, Jesus says. But those who are sick, that's you and me. Hear this word from Jesus and feel the full weight of it on your heart and on your soul. You haven't kept it? You haven't followed it? That's right. That's why you need Christ. That's why we gather here to hear his word of forgiveness, to come to this table to receive what the people of old called the medicine of immortality. Jesus' very body and blood pressed to your lips and placed in your heart to make you holy in his sight, to forgive you the very real ways that you have disobeyed and failed to keep his law. Don't tap that down. Don't wriggle around it. But hear the Lord and say, ah, and receive that for yourself. That's the first reason why we need to to hear this word and, and not avoid it. Because if we do that, we'll miss Jesus, the one who was perfect, on your behalf and on mine. The second reason is this, though. This really is God's will for you. You shall be perfect. Jesus isn't messing around there. He's not just playing a word game. This is truly God's intent for you. You might think of it like this. This week, for, for us Michigan State fans, big week. Got a new football coach after a, a whole mess, right? New guy, Mel Tucker. And imagine if Coach Tucker, at his press conference, were to stand up and to say, you know what? We've got a bad team. And a bad school, actually. And uh, I don't see it getting any better. So, good luck to all of us, because it's going to be ugly out there. We'd say... Right? Players immediately look to transfer, fans not buying season tickets the next year because you'd say, well, what, what kind of inspiration is that? What kind of hope and expectation is that for us? We're going to be bad. We're always going to be bad. That's just how it is. Or, or imagine a teacher. Imagine a teacher who says to her students on the first day of school, look, you guys aren't real smart, okay? You're not the sharpest knives in the drawer. I know that. And I don't expect it ever to get any better. You shouldn't either, really. So open your books. Ah, forget it. Let's just go out and have recess. Is that a good teacher for you? You'd say, this is not the way that... Some of you kids are like, yes, thank God. Finally, a teacher who is hurt by crying. No! You'd say, what kind of will and intent is that? The teacher's desire is that the students grow. To have that standard of expectation, the coach's desires that the team gets better. Look, how much more is it the case for God who has made us to live in fellowship with him, to live in accord with his perfect will? When Jesus says, you shall be perfect, that's not only his expectation from you, 
which it is. We've said that already. This is God's expectation from you. We don't reach it. We don't meet it. That's okay because Christ has done that in our behalf. But that doesn't therefore mean, oh, we can just dispense with it. It doesn't matter now. It's not only God's expectation from you. It's also his desire for you. Hear it now. When Jesus says, you shall be perfect, you can also put the emphasis on you shall be perfect. It's not only a command, it's also a promise. That the Lord, who loved you enough in order to lay down his life to make you his own, to forgive your sins, to redeem you from sin, death, and the devil, he also loves you enough into perfection. That is his goal and his purpose for you. Will you achieve it? Will you reach it in this life? No, you will not. Will you achieve it? Will you reach it by by, uh, your own efforts and strength? You do not. But according to the purpose of God and the power of his spirit through his grace at work within you, you and I are growing more and more into his likeness. The God who said, you are mine, the one who began that good work in you, is the one who is bringing it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not done with you yet, see. And his ultimate goal and desire for you is nothing less than that you would be whole, that you would be perfect. We need to hear this word from Jesus and not just say, oh, that's just, that's just pie in the sky kind of stuff. No, nothing could be plainer. This is the Lord's word for you and me. Don't try to run away from it. Feel it. Let it drive you to him. Let it drive you forward after his will. The Lord who loved you and who loves you to perfection. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.